want to welcome everybody to week 13 of the Shadow King, the life and leadership biopic message series of King David. Uh, we have been galloping through his life, and really, today, we are going to drink from the proverbial fire hose because uh, today's events are actually going to cover about uh, 23 chapters. I know it's crazy, but that's why you ought to read the Bible. You cannot uh, get all the nutrients you need by just having a sermon on Sunday. Uh, I want to invite you, become somebody that doesn't just get through the Bible, but lets the Bible get through you by having a, a habit of reading the Bible for yourself. Um, there is this uh, relatively new phenomenon uh, on the internet um, that are different style of memes and it's different graphics or pictures and there's little statements, pithy statements that people put together and they, they can go viral and um, there, there are these different memes that, that kind of cover this, this genre. They're called uh, how it started and how it's going. And you'll see two pictures of how it started and how it's going. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple examples. So how it started. This was your plan uh, on watching out for the Thanksgiving desserts, right? How it started, how it's going. I know, I know, I'm there, I'm there. Uh, here's another one, how it started, uh, just across the fence, hanging out, checking it out, how it's going, <laughs> you know? I guess somebody jumped the fence. Um, hey, a uh, couple of weeks ago, in, 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 as a matter of fact, um, 10 days ago, uh, this is how it started. Uh, this is my 13-year-old son, Graham, and uh, we were in Austin uh, together. We went mountain biking during Thanksgiving holiday season, and um, we, uh, there's this really cool little mountain bike park called Spider Mountain there in Austin, and uh, uh, we were excited to spend that kind of father-son time. As a matter of fact, although I'm always on video venue with our Nacogdoches family and those of you watching online and Dieball and Duncan, I'm actually at the broadcast location, also video venue today, because we are celebrating my son's 13th birthday. We do a father-son and father-daughter father excursion when our kids turn 13. Uh, many times when people, uh, when they get into the teenage years, it's like, oh boy, here we go. Well, we have wanted to earmark their birthdays, their teenage birthday, with a special trip uh, and a special time together to say, hey, let's, let's, make the, let's, let's be intentional about making these not like crazy years, but um, awesome, uh, memory-making, uh, wonderful years. So this was part of that, and now this weekend we're, we're, we're skiing. You may wonder why we are skiing right now, especially when you see how it's going, because how it started was here, and this is him jumping on... Uh, uh, See if it'll click over. This is him jumping a, a, little, a little jump there. And then this was how it was going about an hour later and three staples later. We did not have the kind of trip. So now we're at Keystone skiing. And I'm sure, you know, we'll see how it goes, how it's going right now. Uh, let me give you another one. How it started, um, this, this kind of reminds me of, of uh, uh, me and Janet. Um, I mean, she, she is this beautiful fish that I caught, and I, I may just be a dirty dog. That's how it started. And uh, it was just like a little, you know, little peck, little kiss, you know, kind of thing, how it started, how it's going. Um, <clears throat> you know, this is her winning an argument. Uh, this is called Thursdays in our house. Anyway, when it comes to how it started in this whole biopic of King David, 
when you back up to when David comes on to the national stage, this is how it started. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, when David was returning from killing the Philistine Goliath, this is the David and Goliath story. When he comes returning home, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing. Singing and dancing. And as they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And the belly dancer ladies, you know, with the symbol, hand symbols. He has slain his tens of thousands. This caused a jealous rage to, to well up against Saul. And he became his young, in his young adolescence, his adversary for several years. But Saul ends up dying. David takes the throne, unites the kingdom of Israel. And the rest of like the next 15 years on the throne, David's life is like Robin Hood on cocaine. It is a wild, steroid-induced, uh, medieval time story of courage and bravery and trusting in God and the ups and downs, just like we talked about last week in the pull and the power of sin in David's life. How it started, he's a national idol. How it's going 40 years later, things have definitely begun to change. And instead of being Robin Hood on steroids, David's life is like a Danielle Steele romance novel on downers. It's like a history of spreading cancer. And it's not cancer within the tribes of Israel. It's relational cancer inside the palace, inside his family. As a matter of fact, what we're going to unpack today is his own son has now declared war against David. The army that David has led into battle time and time and time again, they've turned their back on him. There is literal rioting in the streets. Absolute anarchy is taking place in a kingdom that David has worked really, really hard to bring together. And instead of the city burning down, Jerusalem, Instead of it burning to the ground in a coup d'etat civil war against David and his son that he loves, David has to flee from his own capital city. And it's in this moment that we pick up the story. It's in this retreating out of the city gates that we pick up the how it's going in David's life. The scripture reads in 2 Samuel 16 is King David came to Baharim. A man came out of the village cursing him. It was a guy named Shimei, son of Gera, and he was from the same clan as Saul's family. He was a Benjamite, and he was a relation. He was a second uncle or a cousin or something. He was out of that whole family. He was loyal to Saul, and he was mad at David. He's cursing him out on the street. The king, Shimei's giving him a what for. Not only is he cussing him out, okay, it's, it's, uh, it's not just his words, it's the sticks and stones, literally, because he threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. If I'm you, okay, if, 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 if you're David and I'm throwing stones and you're surrounded by your mighty warriors, I kind of chill out a little bit. 
But there is this newfound anger and bitterness in Shimei. He says, get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel. He shouted at David, the king. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne. Let me just stop there. People that are wounded, people that are hurt, people that live for decades in bitterness, you can't, you can't speak truth to them without them reading through layers and layers and layers and layers of soot and hurt and pain. David stole nothing from the king. In fact, David was the absolute opposite of stealing. David was generous and giving and kind and, and forgiving. So many times when you try to fix someone's perspective, their perspective can feel so right because they have lived for years in that fabrication. They've lived in years in that hurt. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son, Absalom. Absalom's going to be a key player in today's message. Shimei goes on to say, at last, you're going to taste some of your own medicine. How's it feel now, sucker? Blankety blank, 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 blank. Throw a stone. For you are a murderer. Hmm. Now, one of David's mighty men, Abishai, is listening on his steed next to David's. And here's what Abishai says. Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Abishai, son of Zariah, demanded. Who does he think he is? Does he not know who he's talking to? And Abishai's got, got a hand on, the, on the, 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 the sword and pulling it out of the sheath. And here's the request of Abishai to David. He says, would you mind, like, can I go over there and cut off his head? <laughs> what a subtle request, you know? It's not like, let me go spray paint his barn. It's, uh, let me go cut off his head. And here's how David responds. No, 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 no. If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, look, my own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? David's basically saying in his depression, in his grief, in his hurt, in his woundedness of his, the betrayal of his own family, he's saying, maybe I'm getting what I deserve. Maybe... Maybe this cursing is what I need right now. And so David and his men continued down the road, and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hillside. Any of you got a friend like that or an enemy like that or a family member like that or a wife like that? Cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. You know, before we jump in today... Um, it's not in your notes, but I encourage you just to write the word dirt. Dirt. And this is something powerful about this story. And it's a little acrostic. Dirt. D-I-R-T. Don't ignore relational tension. We're about ready to get into the, the days before Christmas. And no doubt that some of you, there is relational tension. Don't ignore it, because when you ignore it, it's dirt. David's got some dirt to deal with, and we're going to kind of unpack it today. Right where you are at all of our locations, you just close your eyes. Let's just have a prayer together. Father, the next few moments we have, this is a seedy, grimy, dirty 
story. This is a tough black eye in David's life. This is a tough family dysfunction. Um, And he's a man after your heart? What's going on here? May we learn from the bumps and the bruises. May we learn from the dysfunction and see your hope and truth through it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think because the, the, the darkness of this story, we need to start in a more strong way, a, a, a more a lighter way, and it, that would be, we gotta start with God's grace. And here's a statement I want you to write down if you're taking notes and you're filling the blanks today. The good news is, as, uh, as loving as David was after God, and also as terrible as David was with becoming an adulteress, a murderer, um, be, uh, dealing with his own dysfunctions as a family, he was a mighty warrior, he was a terrible dad. Mighty warrior, terrible dad, and yet God gives grace. Why? I'm going to show you this. God does not hold a grudge. God is not remembering what you did. He's not saying to himself, yeah, 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 I know how you did that last time. I know you're asking for forgiveness, but when's the next time you're gonna come and take advantage of my grace? He is full of grace. He's quick to forgive. He's slow to be wrathful with you. He doesn't hold a grudge. You need to know that in the middle of this, that even though David fails as a dad in many ways, um, God still works with David where he is in the moment he is. He doesn't back up and look at all the junk. He starts with a fresh slate. That's good news for you and me today. God starts with a fresh slate. When you invite him to clean you, he cleanses you, and it's a start over. Um, So we get into this complicated family of David. Uh, I've got one wife and two kids, and life can be complicated. David, David has got all these wives, all these wives, Michael, Abigail, Ahinoam, Maka, Haggath. I imagine Haggath is a stunner. You can't, be, you, know, you can't be anything but sexy with the name Haggath. Abital, Eglin, Bathsheba, and Tracy. I'm kidding. There's, there's no Tracy in there. I just wanted to throw a normal name in there. No, there are eight different wives, and these wives over these 40 years of David's life provide him 20 sons and one daughter. 20 sons and one, one daughter. And one of the more popular sons that uh, you may be more familiar with is Bathsheba's son, Solomon, although Bathsheba had a couple of other boys and her very first child as an infant passed away, she had several children, but Solomon is who's going to follow one of the younger. You you would think that the older would follow. Well, you don't know the story. Solomon's going to take the throne and we're going to end next week about that story because there's so much to do with the Christmas story and Bathsheba and Solomon. So you don't want to miss next week. We're not talking about Bathsheba today and Solomon. We're actually going to talk about Maka. Maka and her firstborn son, Absalom. Now, Absalom was known in the Bible um, as a handsome, uh, strong, uh, Keanu Reeves meets Channing Tatum meets Jeremy <laughs> uh, meets whoever, okay? No, that would be like Channing Tatum meeting Screech. Um, 
Absalom has got long flowing hair. He's got muscles. He's got an eight pack. He's a, a brilliant athlete. He is of a man, okay? And Absalom has the privilege of the only girl born in the entire Davidic clan, and that's his sister, his full-blooded sister, Tamar. So Absalom and Tamar grow up, and they're tight because they've got the same dad and the same mom, their full-blooded brother and sister. Now enters another character in our story, and it's not a son from Maka, but instead it's a son from Ahinoham, and his name is Amnon. Amnon was firstborn in the whole clan, should be the one to take the throne after David dies if you're going to hand it in royalty to like the firstborn son. So it is in this half-brother situation and half-sister situation that we get our grimy, seedy, hard story today. Because as you read the Bible and you read 2 Samuel, you, you realize that Amnon falls in love with Tamar. Let me back that up. He doesn't fall in love with her as much as he falls in major lust. He lusts after his own sister, his half-sister, but it's his sister. They're in the same home, same dad. Amnon knows that it would be against Jewish law for him to take Tamar as his wife. And so that just kind of feeds that uh, lust. It feeds that desire that Amnon has. And so Amnon devises this plan because he knows David won't ever let Tamar marry him. Amnon goes to David and he says, or he sends a messenger to his dad, dad, come here. And uh, David walks down the hallway of the, of the 21 different bedrooms and gets to Amnon's room and says, what's up, Amnon? And Amnon's up in bed and he's got the covers up and he's shivering. He says, dad, I'm not feeling good. I'm not, I need help. And he said, he's like, well, have you taken the Pepto-Bismol? You, you know, what, what, what you got? Have you, you done the emergency stuff, the orange juice thing? And, and he's like, no, 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 I, I've tried all that. I've tried all the remedies. And he says, well, how can I help you? And Amnon says, dad, you know what would make me feel so much better is if Tamar came into my room and fed me some soup and some bread with her hand and would take the bread in her hand and dip it in the soup and feed me with her own hand. Okay, now, can we just pause for a second? Uh, if I'm David, I'm saying, what? What? Get dressed and go to school, Amnon. Go, go to, go, you gotta go to Votex school, dude. What are you doing in here? I'm not gonna bring your sister in here and have you, that's weird. Does that sound weird to you? Of course it sounds weird to you. Let me give you some life lessons from the dysfunctional family of David. Number one, when you feel a situation is not right, not always are you right, not always should you act on that, but when you feel a situation is not right, here's what you do. Pay attention. Push pause. Jam the brakes. If something 
you don't, you think, you think it's this. You, you think it's a turtle, but it sounds like Aflac. You're calling it a turtle, but it sounds like a duck, and it looks like a duck, and it waddles like a duck. Guess what? Pay attention, because the situation isn't right. We got to teach our children this they can find themselves in situations on social media, themselves in situations with friends. Uh, gone are the days of the footloose and fancy free sleepovers with friends uh, that have parents that you've never met in your life. Come on, parents. We are living in a different day. Gone are the days of just random sleepover. We have to be sensitive more because there can be situations that come up. We got to teach our kids to lean into that intuitive sense that sometimes it's just guts. Other times it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Amnon asks for Tamar to come feed him. And David, like, doesn't push pause. David doesn't jam the brakes. David says, whatever. I mean, okay, I'm going to go work on my music. And he goes to his studio and picks up the guitar. Meanwhile, Tamar knocks on the door with a tray and soup and bread. And when she comes into the bedchamber with Amnon, he grabs her and he forces himself upon her and he rapes her. The Bible says that he takes advantage of her and rapes her and like what tends to happen in a lust that is spent like that, there is then this almost this hatred and this revenge revulsion uh, of Amnon to Tamar, who he's supposed to love, but then he starts to kick her out. Once he's spent his lust, he's kicking her out of his room, and it's this moment where Tamar says, please, she's begging him. You've just taken advantage of me, but, but don't just kick me out. I'm never going to be able to be married. You've, you've broken me. Let's at least go to Dad, let's go to David and ask if, 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 if we can be married. And, but Amnon's not having it. He kicks her out onto the street. And a princess of the king would wear multicolored gowns. And the Bible says that she takes her multicolored gown and she rips it. And she takes dirt out of the street. And she pours it on her head. She's an absolute shock. She begins to stumble back to her little part of the palace. Sure enough, the first person that she runs into is none other than her big brother, Absalom. Absalom sees Tamar and he takes her inside and says, Tamar, what's going on? And she tells Absalom what has happened. And Absalom is enraged. When David finds out, he does nothing. His one and only daughter is raped by one of his sons, and David does nothing. What he should have done is pulled Amnon out in the city street and slit his throat. What he should have done is execute the boy. At the very least, thrown him in prison for a while. 
but David does nothing. No wonder Absalom has a seed that begins to grow that is absolute hatred and disloyalty towards his dad because his dad did not protect his sister. Absalom does not approach Amnon either. In fact, Absalom stews in his own juices and it's not until two years later that Absalom decides to throw a big kind of bachelor party, if you will, for all of his brothers and uh, several of his friends at his own pad, at his own little, little uh, condo in Jerusalem. And so all of his brothers gather together and they're having the big meal around the, the low table, sitting on all the pillows and Indian, uh, cross-legged Indian style, we'd say. And, and they're, they're, they're eating the food and they're dipping into the sauce. And, and in a moment that nobody expected, Absalom, as Amnon is sitting close to him, Absalom raises his hand and snaps his fingers. And out from behind the drapes comes assassins. And they grab Amnon in the middle of the entire family and they stab him to death at the dinner. They leave his body in a bloody mess and there's pandemonium. And a messenger jumps on a horse and gallops from the condo to the Jerusalem palace and enters into the throne room where David is. He wasn't invited to the dinner. And they say, they actually say the wrong message. They say, all your sons are dead. And David freaks out. But then another messenger comes in and says, no, 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 it's not all your sons. It's just Amnon. Now, I don't know if that caused David to react less uh, in anger because he was relieved that it wasn't everybody. But Amnon now is dead. David did not know how to handle Amnon. As a matter of fact, when Amnon raped his own half-sister, David does nothing. And now, David doesn't know how to handle Absalom either. Because Absalom now is a rebel in his own home. Absalom is a wanted fugitive. Uh, that is, he flees the city with some guys and he goes to an old bunkhouse out on the other side of the desert and he is exiled. And there's messages sent to him by the king, don't ever come back. Don't ever come back. Um, Absalom is going to use this season of being exiled to now let that hatred and rebellion and hurt and anger of his father from, to his father, he's going to allow that to well up in him. And, and it's going to be his destiny for life. Write it down. Number two, you cannot fix the hurt of being sinned against by sinning against the person who hurt you. David had sinned against his family by not dealing with this terrible issue. He had sinned against his own kids. And maybe that's where some of you have been, wounded by your own family. And maybe they knew and they didn't do anything. I can't imagine the hurt and wound that that would be. But you can't fix that. 
by then building up a life of rebellion and hatred and sinning against them, trying to hurt them. That will not heal you. You hurting them will not heal you. And Absalom allows that wound to be his destiny. So we've got a dead Amnon at the dinner table. We've got a Tamar who was taken advantage of, and the Bible says she, she just kind of disappears into the background. She never marries. It, it, it destroys her. And now we enter another character in the story, and that's Joab. We've talked about Joab before. Joab is the general of David's army. He's the right-hand man to David. Um, he would be kind of almost like a vice president to David. And Joab one day goes up to King David and says, David, you ought not have your own son who was just trying to take care. You know Amnon was an idiot. You know Amnon deserved it. You, you ought not to exile your other son. You already lost him. Don't, you already lost your daughter. Don't lose Absalom. Plus, Joab understood the power of Absalom, and Joab's trying to make sure that there's not a coup d'etat that takes place. And so sure enough, Joab convinces David to let Absalom back into the city gates. Now, here's a lesson number three. If you're going to punish, punish. All right? Okay? If you're going to, if you're going to forgive, then forgive. But here's what you can't do with either one of these. Don't do either halfway. If you say one more time, but then it's seven more times. You're losing credibility and reliability. When you're going to punish, punish. Um, when you're going to forgive, like forgive. I forgive you, it's okay. But then you are like seething behind the scenes or you're gossiping or you're really frustrated. You're critical about everything. If you're going to forgive, forgive. If you're going to punish, punish. Don't do it halfway. And David can't get there. He, he punishes Absalom by exiling from the city and then he kind of forgives him by bringing him back. But here's what happens. Like what happens in so many families, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, you name it. Uh, David basically says, you can come back in here, all right? But I don't want to see your face. Uh, don't, don't even get in my presence. It's like the father and the son that, that okay, we're going to let bygones be bygones. But, you know, don't call me. I won't call you, I'll see you at Christmas, but don't expect there to be any kind of real relationship. That's what is happening. Instead of Absalom being a, a exile uh, in a foreign land, he's now an exile in the shadows of the walls of his own family's palace. And here, in this season, Joab comes back into the picture. After a year or so of being an exile in his own, in his own city, um, Absalom tries to get a hold of Joab. So he starts sending him tweets, sending him some instant messengers, and Joab leaves him on red. Even gets to the point, I know, like students, like young, young adults, this is crazy. He even like, he, he calls him on the phone. Like he, beep, boop, 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 beep, like, like, bring, it's, it's nuts, like, it was that desperate to actually call. Okay, anyway. He calls and Joab goes straight to voicemail. Or there's an instant message. Sorry, can't talk right now. In a meeting, let me call you back. Joab is ignoring Absalom. So what does Absalom do as a level-headed young man? 
he takes his soldiers over to Joab's house and he burns his farm down. Joab comes home from the gym and his house and his crops are on fire and, and, you know, and there's gasoline been poured in the dirt road. Call me, love Absalom with like, you know, an anarchy sign. And so Joab jumps on the horse that's left that isn't roasted and gallops all the way to Absalom and says, you dude, you burned my house down. And Absalom's like, yeah, you wouldn't return my calls. This is the kind of guy that Absalom is. He is a mad dog killer. And he all gets Joab's attention by burning his crops in his house. And he says, hey, I really want to make amends with my dad. And you're the only one that can do it. So sure enough, Joab uh, he kind of formulates the whole deal. He, he curates the, 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 the white flag moment. And David lets Absalom come back into the fold and be a part of the family again. And David gives Absalom a responsibility called king's court. Absalom, coming back into the graces of his dad, um, uh, he, he wants to get responsibility of king's court. David doesn't give it to him, but this is how Absalom is going to get back at David is through king's court. So here's what king's court was. Um, there would be like small claims like Judge Judy or the people's court and, and uh, people would go and tell their case. You know, they built their fence on my property line and, and they would give them a verdict. Guilty, innocent, uh, tear down the, the fence, keep the fence. And if that person... Uh, that was guilty or innocent, you know, whatever, if they didn't get the verdict they wanted, um, if they chose to, what they could do is they could once a month stand in line and go to king's court. And that is where the king himself, not the little jury, not the small claims judge, the king himself would listen one by one and people would bring their complaints about the HOA, they would bring the complaints about the pollution, they'd bring their complaints about the noise, and they would bring their complaints in front of the king and the king would have king's court. Well, on those days, outside of the palace, Absalom set up a chariot and would stand in his chariot. And as those people would begin to gather for king's court, he would woo them like the politician he was. He would say, hey, Bob, how you doing? Come on up here. And he'd let them sit up in the chariot. And they're like, man, this is real gold. He's like, I know, you want a, you want a Dr. Pepper? And he'd pull out a Jerusalem DP, Dr. Pepper. And, and he'd talk to him and say, what's going on? He said, oh, they, 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 won't, tear down the, they won't tear down the whole deal, the, 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 the fence. And, and King won't hear and say, oh, man, you're going to the king's court? And the guy would be like, yeah, I'm going to king's court. Maybe David will... You know, David, he's so busy. I don't even know if you're going to get in. Um, he's, just, he's just always got stuff going. You know, if I were the king, I, I, would, I would take time for you. I would make them, I wouldn't make, them, make you tear down your fence. Like you wouldn't? Yeah, if I was king, but hands are tied. <laughs> See you later. Susie, how you doing? Come here, Susie. And Susie would come up and he'd say, how are your girls? How are your kids? What's going on? And She'd complain about the, the landlord situation. He said, man, if I were king, I'd take care of that. For four years, calculated, cold, maniacal, rebellious heart, Absalom for four years met with people one by one, and he actually stole 
the heart of the nation. David didn't see it coming. Absalom was so driven by his hurt and his hatred that there comes a point where he knows the tide is turned. He takes half of the army and he goes to David and says, hey, I'm gonna take half the army. I'm gonna go out to Hebron, another city in Judah, and I'm gonna sacrifice some animals for God. And David says, go on. But the moment that Absalom gets out of the city with half the army, that army splits up and goes to different tribes and they begin to announce, like Paul Revere, there's a new king. Absalom is the new king. Absalom is the new king. And it creates a civil war that begins to burn down Jerusalem. And so David, instead of losing the city, he packs up his family. He gathers Abishai and Joab and a few others. And he leaves through the city gates. And he's met by Shimei, who says, you're getting exactly what you deserve. Curses and stones and dirt because David ignored relational tension. Once David is outside the city, Absalom comes back and he throws over the throne of David and he sets up his new throne. He wreaks havoc for a while. Do you know the first thing that Absalom does after he puts on his, his own crown? He actually takes the, the concubines, the mistresses of David, Ten of them that would have been left in the palace to manage the palace and s clean up the palace and cook for the, for the palace staff. He takes 10 of his concubines and he puts a tent up on the palace rooftop, the same place that David sinned against God by starting this temptation with Bathsheba. And Absalom sets this tent up and takes the 10 concubines and he rapes every single one of those concubines over and over and over again, as if to say, you ignored what happened to my sister. Now I'm gonna do to you what you let happen. How does it feel now? Whew. You know, Sometimes you can hate the things that somebody did so bad that that hatred actually turns you in to that person. You can hate that you were ignored so bad that you focus on getting the attention of that person that you ignore other people. You can hate that so much that you, you let that hatred define you and they still have the steering wheel in your life. Number four, there are those wounds that are simply beyond the power to be healed. It's not because Jesus isn't able to heal them. It's not because Jesus won't reach down and bring a soothing ointment to that wound. But there are those wounds that are simply beyond the power to be healed, not because of what Jesus can't do, but because people won't let go of the hurt. They won't release it to receive the ointment. And Absalom couldn't let it go. 
Sure enough, he wreaks havoc for a while. But David's forces come back strong because Absalom's not the leader that David was. And in a chase through the forest, Joab is now chasing Absalom. And as Absalom is trying to escape with his life, a low-hanging branch of a tree in the forest catches Absalom's hair and it rips him off his horse and he's hanging in the middle of the forest by his hair and his head. And Joab gallops up to Absalom and places three spears into the heart of Absalom. And then the rest of David's mighty men gather around Absalom and they stab him to death like a pinata. And it's the terrible, bloody, sad ending to a potential king that was destroyed by his own hatred and rebellion. Friends, David sinned. David sinned. But David repented and God gave grace. Absalom was hurt and out of his hurt, he didn't repent, he rebelled and he lost his life for it. So as we enter into some possibility that in the next few weeks, you might be around some family, there might be some relational tension. Can I give you a formula on how to respond to relational tension? As we conclude today, let me give you a formula. You may be right about something and you may be hell-bent to win the fight. When you're right and you wanna win the fight, but you add losing your family in the process, that's the wrong response. David lost his family because he didn't know how to win the fight. He didn't even know what to do that was right. He did wrong and his responses were wrong and he lost part of his family in the process. Don't, don't do this. Here's another formula. Owning your part, because we all have sinned, we all add to the relational tension, we all add to the dirt. Own your part, but lead with love. Love is a choice, you put on love like you put on sneakers. You gotta choose it, you lead with love. And you lead with humility. Pride will divide your house and it cannot stand. Humility will bear you up, build you up. Trust God through the junk. It's not trust God that you'll never have junk. It's trust God through the junk, the relational tension, and the final component, time. See, it took time for Absalom to become so hell-bent to destroy Amnon and his own dad. It took time. The same is true. You can either enlarge your bitterness through time or you can enlarge blessings through time. You can enlarge your hatred through time or you can enlarge your forgiveness through time. When you do this, <laughs> that's the right response. You know why? Because that's what Jesus has done with you and me. We're all like Absalom. We want to overthrow not the imperfect king, but the perfect father.
We think we can do it better. We think we know better. We get mad at him when he, when he doesn't respond the way we wish we, he would because we're all about us. And yet God is still all about you. Would you pray with me this morning? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Let's talk about tension. Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a child. But there's some dirt there. I invite you maybe just place your palms upward and open. Jesus, we need healing. We cannot get that healing. We can't receive it from you if our palms are clenched, hanging on to the hurt, hanging on to the wound. But Jesus, you took wounds so that we could find healing for ours. Thank you. Would you heal us? Would you wash the dirt away? Would you help us own our own part? I believe you're doing a work even now of softening some hearts and building some humility. As heads are bowed and eyes are still closed, it may be that your rebellious heart needs to bow to the one true king. It's Jesus and he loves you. And he's not mad at you. He's ready if you are. He's already paid for the gift of salvation for you. Is today the day? Is today the day that you receive it? It can be. You'd simply say, Jesus, I, I have sin in my life and that's, that's me rejecting you and your authority. I give my life to you. Please forgive me. Give me a fresh start. Would you deal with the dirt in my life first so that you can help me with the dirt in my life. Thank you, Jesus. And it's your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.